Well, this is pretty incredible to be out here with you guys tonight. Beautiful setting. Thank the Lord, man. Rain held off. Praise the Lord. Amen. Guys, I've, you know, I spoke at uh, Sizzling Summer Night back in 2008, my first trip to Calvary Delco. And, man, I, I love this church. I love you guys. I mean, you know, 1 Samuel 18 says that David's heart was knit to Jonathan's. I know you guys are going through a series or just ended a series on David, but his heart was knit to Jonathan. I feel like in some way God has knit my heart to this church. Love you guys. And, and man, what a, what a, what a team. And I tell you what, man, so my book that Pastor Bob shared with you a minute ago, I uh, published it, or actually it was published April 5th of this year, uh, just in time for COVID to murder the launch plan. <laughs> it's funny how that works. Certainly God ordained. But I was really, man, to be completely honest, I was so discouraged because just the launch plan, it was a great launch plan. Except that COVID hindered every of the thousand pre-orders from getting their books because churches were closed and it just ruined it. And I was kind of down and depressed. And one day I got a phone call from Pastor Bob, and I always answer those calls. And uh, I'm talking to him, and, he, and the first thing he said is, "How much did you have to pay your ghostwriter?" <laughs> I'm like, "What are you talking about, bro? I wrote that whole thing." But look, you know, guys, Pastor Bob is 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 a, uh, you know, if if I care about anybody's critique of a book, it's him, right? You know, he's intellectually sharp. He reads more than probably anybody else here, and and I know he knows what a good book is, right? And he said, man, he said it was a really really good read, and that just so encouraged me. So thank you for that, Pastor Bob. It meant a lot to me. Meant a lot to me. So. Well, tonight, guys, I'm here to share a message of hope and a message of victory with you tonight. How many people could use some hope and victory in their life? Come on. Come on. This message is entitled, The Great Comeback, subtitle, Five Keys to Your Comeback. You know, last week, Mike, and by the way, Mike is a great communicator. He really is. And I typically, you know, I'm a David Guzik kind of guy, but I loved Mike's messages. And I, but he had three C's last week, and I had to top him, so I've got five P's. <laughs> so if you're taking notes, hey, if you don't have a notebook, hey, seriously, take out your phone and pull up the notes on your phone and, and jot these down because I believe that these five keys, if you implement all of them into your life, I know, I am 100% confident it will transform your life. Guaranteed. Or your money back. <laughs> so I'm going to share some of my story tonight. You know, um, I've got a, you know, a, a testimony of, you know, all over the place, craziness, near death experiences. Almost going to jail for 25 years. Yep, you heard it. Um, <laughs> you'll read about it if you choose to read. But, um, you know, we've got different testimonies. I want you to know something. Your testimony, no matter what it is like, is equally powerful. And I encourage you to share the story of how you came to Christ with others. Because we were all equally radically condemned before the cross. All of us, Mother Teresa to Adolf Hitler, equally condemned 
until we came to the cross of Jesus Christ, right? So your, your testimony is powerful. I've had people say, man, I wish I had a testimony like yours. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't want a testimony like mine because it comes with a lot of baggage. You know, so anyway, I, I encourage you to share that with others. So, guys, I don't think I'm going to have to convince you of this. I'm going to start with a statement. Life is hard. I don't think I have to convince anybody here of that in the season we're in as a nation and in the world. Life is hard. My my 11th grade literature teacher, Miss Bradbury, used to say, Evo, life's hard and then you die. She was very optimistic. You know, she was a realist because, you know, honestly, man, I think her statement at the time, I had a hard time grabbing onto it. You know, 11th grade, high school, you know, life was, didn't seem that hard at the time. But, um... But as I've aged, as I've grown and went through challenges and struggle and difficulty, I think it was an understatement. I wouldn't say life is hard. I would say life is very, very hard. <laughs> and then you die. <laughs> now look, you guys are like, oh, i got to sit through 30 minutes of this. But look, guys, the great news is that as followers of Christ, we have confidence by placing our faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. By placing our faith in Jesus and the word of the cross, we have confidence that that when we leave this body, we are immediately in the presence of God. Not only that, but all of us will be together forever with the Lord. Amen. Come on, guys, you're responding not near as good as I'm preaching. (laughs) But what a great confidence, man, that we we know we're going to be with the Lord forever. But truth is, man, life's hard, then you die. It just is. It's that way. Life's hard, then you die. And, you know, there's a a verse in the Bible that I love. The first half of it gives me some concern, however. The first half... Proverbs 24, 16 says, For although a righteous man falls seven times. I don't like the sound of that. As an ex-pro boxer, the last thing I like the sound of is falling, getting knocked down. But you know, it's the way it is, man. We go through life. Life is full of challenges and struggle and tragedy, testing and temptation. It's full of these things. But I love the second half of this verse. It says, although a righteous man falls seven times, he will get up. (laughs) Come on, man. That's good news. And that's for all of the, uh, the female audience as well. Men and women. That as Christ followers, although we will face tragedy and trial and difficulty, as Christ followers, We will get knocked down from time to time, but we are never knocked out. We are never knocked out. That if we look to Jesus, no matter what what has happened in our life, no matter how hopeless we are, if we'll just look to Jesus, man, he He is strong. He does not grow weary, and He can pull us out of the pit. Huh. Although a righteous man falls seven times, he will get up. Guys, Maybe you feel like you're on the mat tonight. I know COVID has thrown a curveball into life as we know it. 
And maybe you feel like you're knocked down. Maybe it's something else. I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe you feel like you're down on the mat and you have no hope. Maybe you feel like you don't know how you're going to get up. I want you to know something. I believe that the one true and living God has a great comeback in store for you. Come on, guys. That's good news, man. I re- <laughs> it's relaxing out here. I get it. <laughs> he has a great comeback in store for you. So I'm going to give you five keys to your comeback. These keys, you know, God, <laughs> God used my boxing career several different ways. First, he used it to establish a platform for my, my spiritual calling. That's Bible teaching and evangelism. Um, God used boxing as a platform for that. But God also met me in the boxing ring on many occasions that would teach me his will and his ways and his word. Fact is, God will meet you where you're at, whether it's Peter in a boat or me in a boxing ring. He meets you where you're at. And in that boxing match, you know, it was, it was interesting. End of 2003, I didn't know if I'd ever fight again, but God had opened my eyes to the gospel, opened my eyes. He, he, he rescued me out of sin and death. End of 2003. And, um, and I watched one boxing match that year, and that was Courtney Burton, the guy I fought in the video. Against a guy named Angel Man Freddy. I knew Angel Man Freddy well. And Courtney destroyed him. And I prayed to God. I said, God, if I ever box again, please don't make me fight that guy. Ten months later, Showtime calls us and they say, guys, we want Evo on our network. He's exciting to watch. He throws lots of punches. And he bleeds a lot. And we like that. And, uh... And ultimately, the, the, we told them, we knew what God had called us to do. They sent us a list of potential opponents. We knew God called us to fight the toughest fight we could get, to fight the best fighter we could fight. Because we knew that God had called me something to something bigger than me. And listen, God has called you to a life bigger than you. You get that? He's called you to a life bigger than you, no matter how old or young or how unable you feel or limited you feel or how capable you think you are, God has called you to a life bigger than you. So they challenge the world champion. They challenge the next guy. They challenge the next guy. They get to number four ranked Courtney Burton, and he accepted the fight. I'm like, Lord, I prayed not to have to fight this guy, and you made me fight him. It's interesting. I was, I was bummed when I heard the news that Courtney had accepted the fight. But as soon as I signed the contract to fight him, God gifted me with faith. Guys, faith is not something we muster up in the flesh. It's not something we, you know, work, work, you know, put together in our own ability. Faith is a gift of God. And God gifted me with faith that I was going to win this fight. And I knew it from the moment I signed the contract. I knew without a shadow of a doubt I was going to win. So I go into the fight, 12 rounds ahead of me, live Showtime Boxing. And the early in the second round, I began to realize something very important to me. I was in way over my head. <laughs> I was going to get beat up. <laughs> Look, I knew it. Courtney was bigger, meaner, stronger. Everything was in his favor. And I knew I was going to get beat up and probably knocked out on live Showtime Boxing. So look, I knew I had no solutions for the problem. I knew my corner guys couldn't help me. I knew my wife couldn't help me. So I cried out to God because I knew he could. It's a good thing to do. 
I cried out to God, man. I said, Lord, this fight's going to be brutal. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. And I said, God, I'm going to want to quit. I admitted that weakness. I said, Lord, I don't have the goods. I'm going to want to quit. I'm going to want to give up. But he spoke back to me with clarity. And he said, Evo, if you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. The first key to your comeback is perseverance. Perseverance, guys, is John 15, 5. It says, Jesus said, He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That word abide literally to, means to remain in, to remain in fellowship, to remain in surrenderedness, you know, to, to stay in the word, to stay in prayer, to put on the armor of God and remain in. Perseverance, guys. Uh, you know, when, when you became a Christian, you didn't board a cruise ship. You boarded a battleship. Okay. I think a lot of times we become, you know, we come to Christianity and we think, hey man, life's going to get super easy now and it's going to be a cruise ship. No, you boarded a battleship. You're in the battle either way. But you boarded the battleship to fight when you became a Christian. The good news is we have the victory, right? We have the victory in Christ. It's his victory. We get to share in it. But look, if everybody, if comebacks were easy, everybody would be doing it. Right? If they were easy, everybody would be doing it. But they're not. So look, guys, you have to persevere. When, when temptation comes, when tragedy comes, when hardship and testing and trial, you have to persevere. That's the first key to your comeback. So God said, if you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. Well, immediately I'm full of hope and joy. Man, I knew I was going to win. Not only was I going to win, I was going to win by knockout. Why a knockout? Because I knew in all my experience, I've never seen God leave a decision up to the judges. Right? It's not his style. He doesn't. That's not the way he works. He doesn't leave it up to the judges. He wins by knockout. But I wanted the knockout to come quick and easy, right? That's how we want everything in America. <laughs> Come on, Lord, just do it through a little jab. Boom. <laughs> It'll be miraculous, Lord. You'll get all the glory. Boom. <laughs> okay, Lord, I'll be reasonable. Let's do it through a left hand. Bang. Then I begin to encourage the creator of the universe. Jesus, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> I wanted it to come quick and easy, but it didn't, guys. In the, in, early in the fight, third, fourth round, Courtney hit me with a right hand that broke my jaw. About round six, my kidneys, I got hit with such hard body shots, they started hemorrhaging. I was internally bleeding. As the fight continued, my eyes swole shut. Cuts over both of them, bleeding everywhere. And after the 11th round, I had nothing left. My corner began to pray, Lord, give him strength to do whatever he has to do. That's funny, right? Because I had no idea what I had to do. Actually, I thought I might actually have to die in the 12th round and be resurrected from the dead on showtime. <laughs> I truly, I was ready to die. If I had to die, bring it, you know. That would have been really cool to get resurrected from the dead on showtime. <laughs> but, um... But look, here's, here's the point. I had no idea what God was going to do in the 12th round. I had no idea. But I knew I couldn't quit. Look, 
We have no idea what God's going to do in our, in our situation tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. And you know what? He honored my faithfulness to his calling the first 11 rounds. He honored it and blessed it in the 12th. And that's the way it works. God will honor your commitment to him this month, next month. He'll honor your and bless your surrenderness to him this year, next year. That's the way God works. That's the principles of reaping and sowing. We, we always reap what we sow. We always reap after we sow. And we always reap more than we sow. But I knew I couldn't quit. I knew I had to make it into the 12th round and keep fighting. So I go into the 12th round, a minute and a half into it. I got hit with a big right hand. I was hurt bad. And I fell back into the ropes. And as I, I hit the ropes, my instinct was to throw a left hand. I had a tiger, right? <laughs> Throw that left hand. And, but it was held back by a ring rope. If you YouTube it, you can watch it. And all my strength drained out of me and I started to go down and I knew it was over. I knew it. <laughs> Maybe you feel like that tonight. You may be like, there's no hope in my marriage anymore. We can never have the marriage God desires us to have. That is a lie from hell. Hey Amen. Come on. That's, thank you. <laughs> I thought it was, I knew it was about to be, I knew I was about to get knocked out. So I cried out to God again. I said, Lord, I'm about to get knocked out. <laughs> but I didn't quit. I didn't quit. Lord, not only did I not quit, I didn't think about quitting since you made that promise to me early in the fight. I didn't think about it. And guys, the second key to your comeback is perspective. Perspective. The verse it's Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, I gave that passage a lot of thought. And I don't think with my heart. I think with my mind. But as I dwell on thoughts, as I meditate on thoughts, they begin to take root in my heart. And things that take root in my heart define my worldview and my identity. Guys, the, the single biblical principle that has transformed my life has been taking my thoughts captive, having a right perspective, you know, filtering everything that enters my mind through the Word of God. Is it true or is it a lie? Is it pure or is it impure? Is it praiseworthy and noble or is it destructive and deadly? And as I filter those things, the things that are not true, that are from the enemy, I take them captive. It's a prisoner of war term, a military term. Take them captive. But, but things that are noble and pure and righteous, praiseworthy, those are the things we meditate on. And it takes root in our heart. And, it, and then we have a, a righteous, God-honoring worldview and identity. Perspective is key to your comeback. You need to come back in your life? Get your perspective right. Line it up with the Word of God. There's a way into a man he believes is right, but it leads unto death. How do we know the difference? By the word of God. I said, Lord, I, I haven't thought about quitting, so I won't do it now. And I gathered together all the strength I had. And I had just enough to stand up. And as I stood to my feet, power came into my body. <laughs> Commentators noticed it. Steve Farhood said, Ebo's got a, a burst of steam. There was no burst of steam to be had. Okay. 
What he thought was a burst of steam was in fact the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Guys, if you want to make it to your comeback, you cannot do it in the flesh. You must depend upon empowering of the Holy Spirit. Too often I see the the people of God trying to live a life that honors God without the power of God. And it'll never work. You'll try in the flesh. You'll try with all the strength you've got. And you'll fail and you'll fail and you'll fail. And you become more discouraged and you give up altogether. Guys, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available simply by asking and receiving by faith. Thank the Lord, right? Listen, we have everything we need to live a life of victory and freedom. The only reason we don't is because we resist God. That's the only reason. The only reason we don't is because we're unwilling to submit and surrender to his lordship. But if you want victory and freedom, you have everything you need available to you right now. Power. All of a sudden, my punches began to land with precision. 30 seconds later, the number four ranked fighter in the world was out. Perspective, perseverance, power. So I was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Guys, all I could do, you notice it, you saw it in the video, watch the YouTube version, the full length. All I could do when it happened was praise God. And I assure you this, there were no worship leaders in that casino. (laughs) There was no Christian songs, no we raise holy hands, right? But look, I got a glimpse of God that night. I got a glimpse of him like never before. Profound, unmistakable glimpse of God. And my immediate, my only involuntary reaction. (laughs) Oh, Lord, you're awesome. (laughs) The fourth key to your comeback is praise. Praise. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says um, that we're to give, uh, God's will for us is to give thanks in all things. Not for all things, but in them. Because there are some things God doesn't expect us to be thankful for. But we can be thankful in them. Because we know that all things work together for our good and His glory. We know that. So we can be thankful in all things. And when we're thankful, look, here's, guys, I struggle with debilitating depression for 20, 28 years of my life. Years wasted in depression. And I found, I found the cure to depression, guys. Guys, I found it. Okay? Everybody's looking. Here it is. It's not in a bottle, right? What I found is that if I will identify blessings in my life, And guys, maybe you say, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for in my life. Everything's falling apart. Everything's gone. Nothing to be thankful for. Well, well, that's not true. Because you can always look back to the cross of Calvary. You can always look to the cross. The only reliable indicator of God's love for you is the cross of Calvary. And you can always look back to that and go, you know what? God loves me. And he has blessed me because I have eternal security in him. 
But when you identify blessings in your life, and then the natural response should be worship directed towards Jesus. Because we know he's the giver of every good and perfect gift, right? So we direct our worship towards Jesus. And I find that worship and depression cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. You want to be cured of depression? Acknowledge the things you're thankful for and worship God in it. You will not be depressed anymore. I should be a millionaire. <laughs> I should have packaged that in a bottle. I'm just kidding. Totally joking. Huh. So fourth key is praise. So I was empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. The, the commentators kind of jeered me a little bit. They said, it's great. Ebo's praying for his opponent or praising, praying to God, but he needs to pray for his opponent. I didn't hear that. God did. All of a sudden, I'm led. I, I, it was really interesting. I knew God led me to go pray for Courtney. I go, take one knee next to him, said, Lord God, I pray you would make this loss for him a benefit like you did for me three years ago. That he would know that nothing of this world satisfies but only a relationship with his creator. That's it. Guys, look. I understand why the unbelieving world goes after the things of the world to satisfy them, but too often times I see Christians, myself included, will just start like, it might be, even be a good thing. We'll go after that. We'll go after developing this ministry or reaching, you know, it can be good things. But if you're going after anything to be fulfilled and satisfied, anything other than a relationship with Jesus, you're always going to be let down. Colossians chapter 2 says, we are complete in Christ. Nothing else. Complete in Christ. Alone. But I prayed that for Courtney. Guys, the fifth key to your comeback is prayer. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, prayer is not for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Developing a lifestyle of prayer. First Thessalonians 5, I think 16 says to 17, it says to pray without ceasing. Just this relationship, this conversation with God, certainly hearing from God and responding and yielding to His Lordship and leadership. We have perseverance, perspective, power, praise, and prayer. Guys, those five keys will transform your life. So, thank you. It's okay. <laughs> I looked in the camera. Jesus Christ has a plan for your life. Give into it and accept it. Guys, do you want to make life really hard for yourself? Resist God for a little while. He'll make it as hard as you let him. But he'll also allow it to be as easy as you let him as well. <laughs> Guys, there are far greater comebacks in my life than a boxing ring. The greatest has come out of the ring. I got married at 18 years old, three weeks after high school graduation. Um, me and my, my, my girlfriend at the, you know, in high school, we dated all through high school. We knew each other in first grade. We were childhood friends. And going through high school, we dated with the both proms. And we, we knew God had a call in our life. We knew it. We knew he had a plan for us. Her, her dad's a, a pastor I was exposed to the gospel on several occasions. We knew God had a plan for us, but we resisted his plan. 
We did things the way we thought they should be done. We justified sin. We did what was right in our eyes. And when we, when we, when we justified sin in our life and pushed the Lord away, we pushed His protection away and it opened the door for the enemy. The Bible gives a very clear job description to Satan. <laughs> he is a description of what he does, rather. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we allowed him into our relationship. And it became a train wreck from day one. A year and a half later, um, Amy filed for divorce, and it was over. And at that time in my life, I recognized there was, I recognized how empty I was. You know, losing her certainly helped me to recognize that void. But I saw this void in my heart. Pascal, a French philosopher, said that every human has a God-shaped void in their heart. You know, I, I, I didn't, I, I went into the world to fill the void. Drugs, cocaine, meth, ecstasy, alcohol, sexual immorality, success, accomplishment, wealth. I went after everything the world has to offer. Two years of that. And I was more empty than I had ever been. I remember one night I got down on my knees in my living room and I cried out. And I wish I could tell you I cried out to Jesus. But I cried out, I got to find Amy. If I could just get her back, that would be enough. Don't ever believe the lie that a person can complete you. Another human being can complete you. At best, they will compliment you. Only Jesus can complete you. But you know, I found out where Amy was at. She was at her friend's house. I went to her friend's house. I begged with her friend. I said, I've got to get Amy. i got to see her again. Talk to her again. Hold her hand. Hear her voice. She went and talked to Amy. Amy said, she came back and said, Amy said to get out of her life. She never wants to see you again. And I remember how I felt at that moment. My last resort failed. I go home, I sit on the side of my bed, and at that moment, everybody thought I had this perfect life. I was 21 years old, 20 years old, rather. I had 60 grand in the bank, brand new sports car, brand new truck, brand new house, worldwide fame in boxing, and number two world ranking as an amateur. Everybody thought I had it made. I hated my life. I reached in the nightstand, and I pulled out a 40 caliber pistol, and I put it to my head. And I sat there utterly hopeless. I started to pull the trigger. It was a Glock. It had a trigger safety. I pulled the trigger safety and it stopped. And then I heard a small, still voice that said, Ebo, if you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. If you don't quit, if you'll surrender your life to me, if you'll quit resisting me, if you'll allow me to lead and be Lord of your life, I'll do all that you can't do. I'll repair all you've lost. I'll give back what the locust has eaten. At that moment, guys, listen, hope for the first time. Maybe you need hope. Hope is found in Jesus alone. Real hope? I don't care what, you know. Where people say you can get hope, the only place to find real hope is in Jesus Christ. And hope came back into my life. And I wish I could tell you, you know, I never looked back from that night on. 
my book would be about a quarter the length it is if that was the case. <laughs> but I, uh, but I tell you what I did do. I started taking steps towards Jesus. And that's what I encourage you in tonight. Take a step. I don't know what your next step is, but look, we all have another step to take. Nobody has reached the finish line in this life. I don't, it doesn't matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord. There's always another step to take. What's your next step? And I encourage you to seek the Lord. What's my next step? And then take it. And then next week, take another step. And next month, take another step. And eventually, soon, you'll see you're walking with God. I started taking steps towards the Lord. And He began a work in my life. It wasn't long after that. He put me back into boxing. Took me to number five world ranking. I don't know how he beat the number four guy and they make you five. But whatever. I'll let it go. <laughs> number five world ranking. Give me three championship belts. Put me on a reality show in 2006 and 2007. Called me out of boxing and threw me into a life of Bible teaching and evangelism. The Lord's ways are not our ways. They are much, much higher. <laughs> Soon after that, it began working in Amy's heart. The girl that had given up on ever having a, a fruit-bearing, life-giving marriage with me came back into my life. We were remarried April 14, 2001. We're coming up on 20 years remarried. And check it out. Those kids, we had, we had picked out all their names in high school. He gave them to us. He gave us Maddie, Abby, Gabby, and Addie. Maddie, Abby, Gabby, Addie. You get good at it eventually. Maddie, Abby, Gabby, Addie. Almost like I'm speaking in tongues up here. Anyway. <laughs> oh, look, the Lord, He provided a great comeback in my life. Listen, guys, the greatest comeback you could ever have, it's not in a boxing ring. It's not on a basketball court. It's not on a football field. It's not in the corporate world. The greatest comeback you could ever have is simply coming back to Jesus. That's the greatest comeback you could ever have. Every, every comeback flows from that. He is the God of the great comeback. I want to give you an invitation right now. No better time than now. I don't know what your comeback might be. Maybe it's a, a first time surrender to Jesus, putting your faith in Him and the work of the cross for your salvation. Maybe it's a recommitment to the Lord after, you know, a period of kind of being complacent in your faith. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, hey, I feel the Lord drawing me to do this or do that. Whatever your next step is, I'm going to ask you to, to rise up and say, you know what? I'm ready to take my next step. Will you do that? I'm ready to take that next step. Lord, I've heard from you. I know what my next step is, and I'm ready to take it, and I'm going to take it. Is there anybody here that wants to say, I'm ready to take another step? As I said, this isn't necessarily a first-time salvation. or anything. This is just a next step, man. Amen. Amen. I see a lot of you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to pray together. And there is a gr there is great blessing in public profession. That's why we're going to have baptisms in a little bit. 
great blessing in public profession. I'm going to ask you to stand up and to come, come down, come forward and say, you know what? I'm taking my next step. Let's go, guys. Come on. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Don't resist. Don't resist the Lord. Yield to the Lord. Yield. Say, God, I'm going to let you lead. What's your next step? Are you willing to take it? And why would we say no to the next step, right? Why would we say no? I am going to pray for salvation. For those here, maybe you're up up front, maybe you stayed sitting. It's okay. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I believe. I put my faith in you. Because I know I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned against you. And I know because of that, I deserve eternal separation from you. But I also believe that in your great love for me, you took on a human body, you inhabited a human body, you lived a sinless life, and you took my place upon the cross of Calvary. You were buried, and three days later, you rose from the dead. And I believe, and I I entrust, I put my faith in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for adopting me into your family, making me a new creation. And Lord, now I ask for everyone here that says, you know, I've heard from God tonight. I know the next step I need to take. I pray, Lord, right now, you would pour your spirit out upon them. Pour your spirit out upon them in power that they could take that step. That they wouldn't try to take that step in the flesh, but they would take that step in the power of the Holy Spirit. That they would be bold and courageous, strong and courageous. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We pray it all in your name. Amen.